All right, fuck it. Let's just do this. I've procrastinated this for a while. So I was a bit nervous to talk about this because this is something that I haven't brought up with you guys before, which feels a little bit like lying. It's something that my family knew. It's something that a couple of my friends knew. It's something that all of my extended family knew. Something that you knew, I told you probably two years into our relationship, maybe a year. Yeah, somewhere around there. About the time we started getting pretty serious. But it's something I haven't shared with my audience. So I want to share the fact. I'm just going to read this out because I feel like that's going to be easier for me. I wanted to share the fact that I went to prison when I was young, when I was 21. Because I know it's more common than we talk about. I I want to keep the details of why private. I think that's that's important to me. That's something I like to keep private. So, you know, you guys are welcome to ask, but I'm not going to answer those questions. But it was a very transformative experience. It was something that very much shaped me into who I am today. I'm very, very, very glad I went. It taught me a hell of a lot, a whole lot. And as to why I haven't shared it, I don't know. I guess in the early days, it was like, I'll say it when I'm ready. And it was something that I planned on saying in a podcast. And then you time just kind of goes by and you think about it a couple of times and you're like, well, that was me from 14 years ago. Why would I share that? That was something like I did when I was 19. And then it took, a, you know, about a year and a half, maybe two years before the court case went through. And I actually, because the courts are usually pretty tied up. So it's something I did 16 years ago. Why would I talk about it? And as I've been on this sort of like self-improvement, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, this, this journey of like peace and cleaning up my conscience, I guess, and, and moving towards this place of just extreme, extreme honesty and sharing and vulnerability and all of that sort of stuff that I encourage all of you to do. It got to a point where it's like, why don't I just freaking like, I want to share this. Like, like I've been thinking about it more and more as the months have gone on. And yesterday we had, or I've had a couple of these experiences where we will be talking to someone and they will mention, like, we have a friend that has just gone to prison. And I'll be talking to people who are, you know, who, who've been to prison before or who've gone through that. And it's more common than you think. It's quite a common thing. But it's usually people hold back a lot on it. They have a lot of shame around it or they worry that others will judge it, which is why I didn't say anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, what if someone goes like, you know, oh, shit, you went to, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. And so there's all that sort of, like, feeling, right? Yeah. And... As people have opened up, I've wanted to be able to say like, oh, bro, no, it's okay. Like, I went to prison too. Like, don't stress, man. Like, you know, mm -hmm. as you're a good person now or you're a kind person now. That's all that matters. But it's felt like I've held back quite a few times when that scenario has happened. And yesterday we were talking to our friend Adam. Mm -hmm. I hope he doesn't want to be anonymous. <laughs> I don't think he will. I don't, I don't think, think so. he'll give a shit. I don't know shit. why he would. Yeah, I don't think he'll, he'll give a shit. So... We've, we've made friends with this guy called Adam, who's this guy who's homeless and he lives. Okay. He doesn't technically live anywhere, but like he, he's, <laughs> he's always, he's always like on this route that we go to go to the grocery store, to go to the shopping center. Mm. And we've made friends with him. We've talked to him quite a few times. He's a really lovely guy, really genuinely, like just fully like caring, loving. He like, he will just hug you. He will like talk to all the 
like high school kids that go by, they'll just like stop and chat because we 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 we've sat with him a couple of times now, and if you're sitting there with him for like half an hour, like thirty fucking people will stop and talk to him. Like、mm. school kids will fist bump him and be like, "Yo, hey Adam, like what's up?" And and I would guess those are the people that don't mind interrupting a conversation, keeping in mind、mm-hmm. because we're sitting there talking to him. So there's probably more people that would come up if we weren't there. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, they're willing to literally interrupt the conversation,、mm. which means there's got to be a lot that walked past that didn't. And some of them wait. Some of them look at him and wave. So there's probably lots of them. Lots of adults will stop and talk to him. Probably like there was like old women. There was that guy in the business suit. There's like, and they know him. They're just like, "Yo, Adam. Hey, man. What's up? Like, I'll grab you coffee on the way back." And he's like, "Oh, thanks, man." Like, he's just friends with like fucking everybody, and he's the the loveliest guy, and you know, some of his mindsets are incredible. I know I'm getting off topic here. Some of his mindsets are so incredible. Like he's very giving with his money. He's literally fucking homeless with a little like hat there and a sign, or a little bucket, and a little sign saying you know homeless, and people give him money. But then anyone that asks him for money, he'll just give it to them. He'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, you need the money. Like he's just such a lovely, genuinely giving person. And side note here, he wants to come on the podcast,、mm. so we might make that happen.、Yeah. He said, hey, I got so many stories to tell. I have all this, and I was like. And he's like, you know, do you want to listen to my stories? And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, you know what? I have a podcast. Like, do you want? Would you want to do that? And he's like, oh my god, yes. So we'll see if he wants to come on. Um. Anyway, whatever. This is side tangent. He's a he 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 randomly mentioned. We didn't even say anything about it, but he's like, you know, I've had a lot of adventures with women, and I was like. Is he going to come on and talk about like his getting laid days or something? Like maybe he's like fifty three now, so he's gonna and he's like I've traveled the world, like、mm. I've done all of this and yeah. yeah so, I'd be really interested to hear more about him. I feel like he'd have like a hundred stories. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So he's like this lovely, genuine guy. I can't even begin to describe to you guys how lovely he is. When I give him, when we gave him money yesterday, he f- he was he had tears in his eyes.、Mm. He's just like, and he just he will just give you a he'll stand up and just give you a big hug and like, like he's just the most lovely like kind human being ever. Like he's just so fucking nice, right? And he was talking about like very sheepishly, you know, that he's had some run-ins with the law in the past, and he didn't directly say that he went to prison, but I、mm-hmm. got the feeling that that's what he was saying. But he was very ashamed about it, and sometimes he'll even say like, I know, you know, it's like it's really embarrassing, and he'll kind of like look down. And you can see that he has like so much shame in him.、Mm. And yesterday, I was like looking into his eyes when he's like when we're having this conversation, and everything in my brain is just screaming like, "Yo, tell him that you went to prison. Tell him that he's not a bad person because he had some run-ins with the law. Tell him the past doesn't define you. Tell him that like, dude, you're the loveliest human being that I've ever met. I don't give a fuck what you. Do. I don't even care if you killed someone. I don't care if you fucking killed five babies. Like, you're a lovely person now." And whatever you might have done in the past, like you've made up for that, like. But I couldn't do it, and I wanted to so bad. I, it was something I wanted to be able to give him, because it's like here's another human being who's in pain, and it's like I know that pain. I want to be brave for you and help you, and so we came home, and I was laying on the couch for like what, like fifteen minutes, and I was like, "Baby, I think I have to like share this. I think I have to tell people that I went to prison,、mm. like." And it's really terrifying. I, 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 I think it's terrifying because I built it up, not because I think anyone will have anything negative to say. And if they do, like, please share. Like, you know, you, I love when people voice their opinions, but I think it's just that I've made a mountain out of a molehill. You know what I mean?、Mm. And so far, you've told quite a few <clears throat> people now, like all of yesterday.
Yeah, I told my entire coaching group first because mm-hmm. they're my boys. Shout out to my boys in the coaching group. They were all incredibly lovely, really kind. One of them opened up about something. I'm not going to say who, and I'm definitely not going to say what, but opened up about some incredible stuff like, yeah, like on the scale of, of this, on the scale of me showing my thing. Like, And he said, I've never told another human being that ever. And he shared it with the group. And I was like, this is this is not a small thing, man. This is like, this is something huge that you've shared. Like, holy shit. And then one of the other guys in the group has said, fuck, I've got some stuff from my past that like, I want to be able to share. I don't know that I'm ready yet, but like, fuck, man. Like, I I feel like this would be healing if I share it. So I've gently encouraged him to share. And in our one-on-one coaching call, which is coming up, I think tomorrow, I'm going to very gently encourage and say, like, look, man, if you want to share, like, I will listen. I will not judge you. But, yeah, the point is that people were pretty lovely. I told all my friends. One of my friends already knew. I told him years ago. Mm. But I told, you know, the rest of my friends. Um, I then shared on my forums. And, yeah, everyone, we told, obviously, the girl that we're seeing, that Mm -hmm. we're dating. Mm -hmm. You know, she was lovely. She's an absolute sweetheart. Um, I was really nervous to tell her, actually. Not because I thought she she's just nothing but, like, kindness and joy and mm. love and, like, hippie. I'm not going to judge anyone else, but I guess I was just nervous to – because it's different because it's, like, it's someone you're dating. That seems different. I was nervous to tell my friends because it's, like, what if they say, like, oh, bad, you're a bad boy. Like, you've, you're, you're going to be a bad influence on me. Like, I think it's because it's people that are, like, you're – Important to you. Yeah, and so you do care about, and I guess you care about your relationship with them. Yeah, and there's potentially the fear of losing said relationship. Yeah, or changing the relationship. Yeah, and obviously you do the work on that. You investigate that, and I did a whole bunch of that. I'm still doing it right now as we're doing this podcast live. But you know, you kind of do the work, and you go, okay, what happens if I do lose this friendship? Well, I'll be so incredibly grateful that this person was in my life. I'll be so touched that they were able to help me and that I was able to help them. I would definitely have zero animosity for them. I would have nothing but love. I would love the fact that they were able to speak their truth Mm -hmm. and that they trusted me enough that I could be okay with them ending a friendship or ending a relationship or ending, you know, dating or uh, I would really love that would make me genuinely happy. It might sound like a weird thing, but that would make me feel just full of like joy and love and happiness that like someone felt like they could trust me and trust themselves enough to end it and speak their truth, mm-hmm. that would be a beautiful thing. Yes, I would still grieve for the friendship, of course, but it would be nothing but a good thing. So I shared on the forums. There were only a couple of people that replied so far. I think I only, I only posted it like, you know, nine hours ago or whatever, and it's, it's you know, daytime for Americans and stuff like that. But there were a couple of people that posted and asked some questions. So we're going to answer those in a second. I had a bunch of my friends ask me like a billion questions. Um, yeah, the response has been pretty nice. People have been pretty genuinely lovely. People have been impressed with people opening up and sharing their stuff. I've had three people do that now, which has been really nice, like really inspiring. And I read their shit and I'm like, God damn, man, like this wasn't that hard for me to share. Okay. It was, it was, was. was, like, (laughs) okay. I'll be honest. it It was the video I did last month in December where I was like, I was fucking terrified to do this. Nah, son, that was nothing compared to this. But I'm, I felt like I needed to do this, not just for like anyone else who might have ever gone to prison. So that I then for the re- for the rest of my life now, I now get to give people a hug and say it's okay. I went to prison too. It's okay. 
Like, I don't think less of you. Like, you're a good person. Mm -hmm. You know, look at everything I've done since then, everything I've achieved, all the self-improvement coming from that to, like, having a life of just pure, like, joy and abundance and happiness and, like, unbelievable gratitude. It's like, if I can do that shit, you can too. And so I now get to give – that's why I'm doing this. Like, it's a gift to myself. And also because I don't like holding back. I don't think it's lying as, you know, but it's – it's not fully opening up and anyone listening, please don't feel like you have to share stuff. I'm not doing this video to say, Hey, everybody get your skeletons out of the closet though. I am at the end of the podcast, probably going to gently encourage you guys and girls to do that. If that's something you're comfortable with, Mm. I'm never going to tell someone that you should do it, but yeah, it's been really nice. So yeah, like I said, about 16 years ago, 15 years ago, I went to prison for six months I'd like to keep the why of why I went there private. I was really terrified to say this. Being a content creator means that you feel very vulnerable. Fucking the whole world essentially knowing. And my audience isn't that big that the entire world knows, of course. But, like, definitely a lot of fucking vulnerability. Yeah? Of course. It's like you're essentially saying this to, by the time you add up my site, my forums, Spotify, YouTube. So it's probably like 10,000 people you're saying this to. It's like fucking terrifying so but i think hiding this kind of stuff isn't strength it just leaves you weak and vulnerable like it doesn't it doesn't feel strong it doesn't feel like my true it doesn't feel like it's going to be who i want to be five years from now i don't want to be the person that holds anything back and this has been a journey over the last like god i guess you can say 15 years right since this moment it's been this journey of learning to open up and and move out of shame and guilt because i had so much shame I had so much unbelievable shame, like 15, 16 years ago. I really did. Like when I was depressed, before that, when I was like super depressed as well and suicidal, like every single day, my whole existence was just shame. Like there was nothing but shame. Like I shouldn't be here. I was in so much shame that I didn't think I deserved to kill myself. Literally the reason I didn't kill myself is because I was, well, partly because I was scared. I held the knife on my wrist so many times. I wanted to stop in front of traffic so many times, but I wasn't brave enough. And the reason that I didn't kill myself was shame because it was like, I'm no, that would be the coward's way out. Like you have to sit here and suffer because you're such a miserable piece of shit that doesn't deserve to live. The, you don't even deserve to die. Like that's how much shame I had. And that's the headspace I was in when I went to prison, when I did this thing all those years ago, I was in that fucking headspace. And to go from that to life is just abundant and joy it's the definition of kill your inner loser, but it's not kill your inner loser. You know what I mean? It's like, love your inner loser. I've said this a million times. I wouldn't mind renaming my website at some point because kill doesn't really make sense, but transform your inner loser, something like that. I don't know, but yeah, whatever. Like let's, let's jump into it. People will have questions. I'm sure there's going to be a million questions. My friends already asked a million questions, but what we thought we would do is have you, interview me and ask some of these questions that either other people have asked or stuff we thought was interesting. And if we don't get through all the questions, like if people have other questions or something, we can do some follow-up videos. Mm. So interview me. Bearing in mind, this was literally 15, 16 years ago. So I'm pulling from memory and some of the details might be fuzzy or I might fill in the gaps or I might get things wrong, but I'll do my best. Starting with a very broad one, what was prison like? 
transformative, amazing, everything I needed, enlightening, difficult, but also not difficult, open, eye-opening. You get to spend time with people that you never otherwise would meet. Like, if we're all walking around outside, when are you going to meet someone who has killed another human being? When are you going to look into their eyes? When are you going to meet someone who has been responsible for the death of, like, like, like not directly, but indirectly responsible for the death of a lot of people? When are you going to meet someone who has killed and doesn't have remorse for it? When are you, more importantly, going to meet people who have killed someone else and have fully looked that in the eyes and understand what they've done? Like, how do you wrestle with that as a human being? Like, how do you be okay with that? And, you know, I was like the baby of the prison. I really was. I had the lowest sentence of everyone in the entire prison. Like, like, well, at least in the block that I was in, right? There's probably like 200, 300 people. I had the lowest sentence. And like, I felt like this student of all of them, I felt like, Okay, my job is to just like, because I was young too, I was only like 21, I was a little baby. And I was like, okay, like I'm, people would constantly say like, you're, you're a tourist. Oh, you're here for a little holiday, six months, you're here for a little holiday. Like, and I felt like, okay, like, I understand that these people, some of these people are in here for 15, 20 years, like mm. 25 years, some, some of them are in for life. But the way Australian prisons work is you, you can get parole you're eligible after 25 years, but you have, like, they don't just give it to everyone. So you might be in there for life, but mm. you, anyway, whatever. But it felt like, okay, I have to fucking make the most of this. I have six months, which six months, time has a different meaning. Time has a very different meaning in prison. Six months for most of you, you're like, oh, yeah, six months, yeah, it'll flow by. Like, you know, I'll see my friends, I'll do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Stop and actually break down what six months is. Like, actually... Think about what it is. It's six months times 30 days mm. times 24 hours. Yeah, it ends up becoming... I'm not finished. Long. Times 60 minutes times 60 seconds. Every second you can hear in your head, you look at the clock and you can see it ticking and you, you calculate that, you run that calculation and you're like, I'm here for infinity. I don't even know how some of the guys who are in there for like 10 or 15 years fuck me but like it feels like i'm here for infinity and you have a little calendar and you cross off the days i crossed them off every single day and you count how many you always have a running total or at least i did of how many are left but every second can feel like an eternity and so you're faced with two choices either i can say this is a prison sentence like i've been put here as punishment or you can say i've been given a beautiful opportunity this is a gift there's and, and that is how people divided themselves in my prison. It was either I think this is a punishment or I think this is like an opportunity. And the people that thought it was a punishment didn't really learn a lot. You know, some of them learned some things, but not really. They didn't really improve themselves. And I didn't get the sense that some of them understood what they had done and wanted to atone for it and make up for it and make the world a better place. But the people that, are, that that felt like, okay, or understood that this is an opportunity, like this is a chance for me to be a better person, to grow, to like, to learn. And I'm sorry I interrupted you before, by the way. Okay. But this is a chance to, to grow, 
and to learn, you know, those people, they were the ones that were like, I'm going to pack as much as I possibly can into every second. I'm going to make every second count. And I definitely was one of those people. And we formed this, this group of like maybe 20, 25 of us. And it was just nothing but like, okay, what we did was not okay. That's why we're here. Like we, if the first fucking step is we accept that we deserve to be here because the other group, the, the group of people, and I'm not trying to make it into like a group, like us versus them thing, but, but people who see it as a, a punishment or unfair or unjust, they'll talk about how unfair it is. I'm the victim. And it's like, but you did the crime though. Like whether or not you think your prison sentence was fair, whether or not, you know, and I've had discussions on that. Everybody or a lot of people told me that my prison sentence was not fair. They're like, you shouldn't be here. Like you should just be doing community service. And it's like, yeah, but like I'm fucking here. This is an opportunity. I was given this. I wasn't punished with this, regardless of whether or not you think I should be here or this was fair or it's unjust or whatever. It's like, this is a fucking opportunity. I'm going to make the most of it. And you cram your day with self-improvement books. We had a little library and you were only allowed to rent out, I think five self-improvement books a week, but I would ask, and this was so against the rules, but I would ask like all my friends, I'd be like, yo, yo, can you please like, can you get this book when you go? And can you get this book and this book and this book and this book? And can you just like sneak the book to me? And like, but don't tell anyone because you get in big trouble if you're, you know, sharing resources with other people. But I would read like fucking 15 self-help books a week. You guys have heard me talk about you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. I've talked about how that book changed my life. I read that in prison. That was the first self-help book I ever read in my entire life. I read it in prison. I just saw it. You can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. And I was like, mm. no, I fucking can't, man. Otherwise, prison's going to fucking suck for the next like six months times 30 days times 24 hours times 60 minutes times 60 seconds. That's going to suck. I can't, I can't fucking afford the luxury of a negative thought in here. Holy shit. And that book like changed my life. It was the chapter, one of the early chapters where he goes like, you know, let's talk about how your mindset can affect the world and how you feel about it. Look around the room right now. Think about all the things that suck. And I'm in my prison cell looking around these like cold the four walls. And I'm like, suck. yeah, man, this fucking sucks, dick. Yep, I agree. I am in prison. Yep, it's pretty fucking bad. You, you understand me? Yep, definitely. And it says like, come up with, you know, like 15 things in the room that suck. And I was like, the walls are cracked. Like my cellmate's dick. You know, I have to shit and shower in the same literal thing. I have to shit in the same room and shower with my cellmate. Like, I'm locked in here. Like I can't leave my cell because they lock your cell doors at about six. I think it's 6 p.m. every night. And so I'm like locked in. I'm like, I can't fucking leave. I can't even leave this room. I have to wait till 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. That fucking sucks. My cellmate has the TV on too. Like I'm just going around the room, coming up with things that suck. And I'm like, great. I feel shit. And then it says, come up with 10 things in the room that you're grateful for or that are good. And I'm looking around, I'm like, what does he mean good? I'm in prison. And I'm like looking around and then I come up with 10 things and something clicked in my brain. That was when I realized like, oh, fuck. Like I define how this room is. This is either a good room or a bad room, hmm. depending on whether or not I want to be grateful for what's here or if I want to play this fun game of like, hey, what are 10 things in this room that you can be grateful for? So yeah, that book changed my life. So what was prison like? Let's, let's, I could, I could and, and again, maybe we'll do a subsequent podcast. You guys can ask any questions you want and I'll answer them. The only one, like I said, I don't really want to talk about, you know, some of the whys of why I was there. I would like to keep that private and I hope, I know you guys and girls will respect that, but I'm happy to talk about anything that happened after that. Like, like anything in there, the transformation, all of that. 
So yeah, prison was transformative for me, but it's not for everyone. It depends your mindset. You said at the start that it was difficult, but also not. Mm. And I think a lot of people might ask the question of like, well, how is it not difficult? Like that. Because of my mindset. Mm. Mm. And the people that had that mindset of, I want to make the most of this. This is an opportunity. I need to make the most of this. I have to make the most of it. There's like a burning passion, right? Those people, it doesn't feel like it was a prison sentence. It felt more like a a chance to get your life together and, and figure out who you want to be. And there was a saying amongst all of those people, the people that understood that like this is an opportunity, they would say like, we're not doing hard time. There's a concept of like hard time. We're not doing hard time. Our families are the one doing hard time. And I fully embraced that. I was like, yeah, my mother, my mother was okay. After like week two, she was completely fine. My dad took it really fucking hard. My dad took it really fucking hard. It probably wasn't until a couple of years later that he forgave himself. He, he fully fucking blamed himself for me being in there. And he had a conversation. My mom is like so beautifully honest. It's probably why I've opened up and been so honest in my life. My dad had a day where, you know, my mother told me, my dad had a day where he was just, you know, basically almost in tears. And my dad has cried like maybe once in my whole fucking life, right? And he he just said to my mother, he said, Leanne, I, I think this is my fault. And my mother, in her beautiful honesty, just said, yeah, Malcolm. Yeah, it might be. And... I think that took him, yeah, a couple of years. And I knew that she told me that. And I, she and I tried so hard. We did everything we could to, to, to be there for him. And, but he just, he was so in shame and guilt that he wouldn't listen to me. And so, like, you know, I said my mother only took about two weeks to realize that I was fine. Cause, cause for context, as soon as the judge said, like, you know, hey, you're going to prison, I was like fucking stoic. In that moment, I was like, I never fucking break. I do not break from this fucking second onwards. I am going to be like fucking, I didn't understand the word stoicism or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I was like, I will not fucking break. They will not see me broken ever. I will not break in front of my family. I will not break in front of my friends. I will not break in front of the judge. I will not break in front of any fucking prison guard. I don't know what happens after this point. I don't care. I do not break. They can fucking torture me and kill me and I will not break. I, my face will just remain like stoic. And it did for the entire six months. It did. And that was transformative in itself. But because of that, I, you know, I had a chance to speak. They basically take you away, but then you get to talk for like a little bit before you go to your parents. And, you know, my mom was obviously crying a little bit, but she's very strong. My dad just looked like despondent. And, you know, they were like, basically like, are you okay? And I was just like, fuck, I was a rock. I was like, I'm okay. And I think that really fucking helped them. And I, I think they thought, they probably thought that was like a, a, a facade I was putting on. And it was. Just fake it till you fucking make it. But because I kept that up, because I was like, no, I would give myself a pep talk just nonstop. I was like, you do not fucking break. You do not break. You are strong. You will not fucking break. The moment I walked into the prison, holy shit, that was fucking terrifying. Like, you're just like, I'm going to get fucking raped. I'm going to get fucking murdered. I was like, they can fucking rape you and you will not break. You will not cry out. You will fight them, obviously, but you will... And none of that happened, by the way. It was a very nice experience. Like, like prison was a very nice experience. <laughs> That's not a rape joke. Like, the rape was a very nice experience. That's not what I'm saying, though. I know. There was no rape. Um, but because I was like, I'm not going to break, 
for the first, like you would get phone calls. You could pay for phone calls, like 10 minute phone calls. And, you know, I called my mother the first day and she's like, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm honestly okay. I promise you I'm okay. And it only took probably a week or two of daily phone calls with me saying that repeatedly where she was like, you really are okay, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, mom, like I, I promise I'm okay. Like, I think I needed this. I think she just needed to see that I wasn't a victim, that she's like, oh, okay, he understands he did something wrong. He understands, you know, regardless of, because at this point I had so many people in my ear saying, oh, my God, this is unfair. This is unjust. You shouldn't be in here. This is like, I, there's a code in prison that you don't really tell other people what you've done, but, like, I did tell people what I'd done, and, like, I stopped just because it felt like a weird fucking influence of people. Like, mm-hmm. you're trying to reach acceptance and understand that what you've done is wrong. And then a lot of people are saying, no, man, like, it's okay. Like, you know, I, yeah, it was wrong. Yeah, it's fucked up. Don't do it. But like, man, they gave you a harsh sentence. You're hearing all that shit. And then I'm just like, I'm not going to, I don't want to hear that. I want to know that what I did was not okay. I want to heal from it. And anyway, the point I'm getting to is after two weeks, my mother fully understood that. My dad didn't for the entire time and not until a couple of years after. Because in his defense, not that I'm attacking him, but because he had asked me so many times during my childhood and especially when I moved out of home, Mm. I remember they would call me like once a week and basically say, how are you? And this is when I was really depressed, suicidal, wasn't leaving the house, hated myself, like, you know, knife to my wrist, like daily thinking about stopping in front of a bus and just ending it all, like dark, 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 like parts of myself, parts of my life. And I would just lie to them on the phone, especially my father. And I would just say, like, no, everything's good. And my father knew I was full of shit. Mm -hmm. And he would say, like, no, Andrew, are you okay? And I would, I came so close to, like, breaking down so many times where I just wanted to say, like, no. But I didn't know what would happen if I said no. I was so terrified of saying no. I thought I'd die or something. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know what would happen if I said, no, I'm not okay. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd... tried to hide that for so many years since i was about 14 right so for like five or six years i'd hidden my depression and suicidal ideations and attempts and stuff like that and yeah because i lied to him every time and he knew it he told me that you know one day when he came for a prison visit he was like you lied to me and i was like i know dad and he's like no son i knew you were lying to me and i didn't push it I tried to push it, and I was like, Dad, please, Dad, fucking please. Like, I know you tried to push this, Dad. I know I fought you. Like, please don't. But, you know, you're not going to tell a father, like, hey, don't blame yourself because he's going to be like, I should have. He even said, I should have flown on a plane. I should have jumped on a plane and come to you, or I, I should have pushed you. I should have forced you. Or I should have, like, I don't know, fucking yelled at you or hit you or punched you. I don't even know. My dad's not violent, by the way, but, like, Like, you know, he blamed himself for that stuff. And I don't think it was his fault at all. Like, that he blamed himself for a long time. So, yeah, what was the original question? (laughs) So, was it okay? Yes. My mother realized Mm -hmm. that within, like, two weeks. She was like, oh, this is a good thing for you. And I was like, mom, like, because I would call her every day. And my dad found it harder to get on the phone with me. Mm -hmm. And I tried so hard to give that to him. Like, I wanted to be on the phone with him. And I, 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 I would ask. But, like, a lot of the time he'd say no. To be fair, a lot of the time he said yes. So let's be clear. Like, my dad was absolutely there for me. But every time he was, it was just like he wasn't understanding what I was saying. Like, he'd be like, is is everything okay in there? And I'd be like, dad, okay. 
dad, let me tell you about this book I read. You can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. Dad, I talked to this like priest today. And at the time I wasn't religious. I'm not religious now, but like this priest would just come and talk to us. And he was like the loveliest human being ever. And he would just like, listen, he'd just sit there and listen. He didn't give a fuck. He would just sit in there with the inmates. And I was like, I would look at him. And my first thought the first time he came was, I was like, these people could like kill you, bro. Like mm. you're just like sitting there, like holding their hand and you're just like treating them kindly. And you just, you don't have a bodyguard or some shit. And it's just like, I don't know. You just had love in his heart. He really did. I didn't understand that at the time. I understand that now with the, you know, like the map of consciousness that I talked to you guys, the, the emotional hierarchy. He, this guy was up there in fucking love. Mm. And it's like, when you're up in love, why would you be afraid that someone's going to kill you? You don't feel fear in the same way. You might feel fear every now and then, but you're not like, oh, these people are going to beat me. You're like, no, I'm going to love them. And if they decide that they want to beat me, then that's okay. If they decide they want to kill me, then I understand. They were just believing their own stories. That's okay. Like he just, he was this vessel of like grace. And so, you know, I'd be telling my dad this stuff and I'd be like, this guy, I didn't have the language for it, but I was like, this guy is like a saint or something like, oh my God. And I read this book and hey, I made this new, we made this new friend and he's doing this. And he told us about how he wants to start a business when he leaves. And we started writing a business plan and we actually got him to do a university course. Like, cause you could do university courses externally if you applied for the university and, and all of that. Mm. You know, this guy's got a job externally. Like there were lots of positive things that people were doing. But as I tell my dad these things, it was like he just wasn't listening because he was running it through his own filter. He would hear me say like, oh, my God, I read this book. It's life changing. And what he would hear is I don't know exactly what he would have heard, but something along the lines of like, oh, my son is just trying to be brave. But inside he's dying because I am. Yeah. And I think because he was maybe still holding on to you lying to him in the past. Yep. Exactly. He probably thought I was fucking lying still. And I that I said that to him a couple of times. I was like, I know you don't trust me. I wouldn't trust me. You said that you were intent on being like stoic. <coughs> yeah. So over the six months or even when you had the sentence, keeping in mind this was like an early 20 something. How old was it? As in how old was I? Yeah. So I don't have the exact date. I think I was like 20. Either 20 or 21, yeah, like around there somewhere. So at 21, over the six months, you didn't like cry or have a fuck breakdown no. at all? No, fuck no. No, it was, you know, let me, let's just use any excuse I can to write, to insert my current agenda, which for any of you listening, so before plenty of you would meme and say that I was always, I got a couple of like people even saying this, that I was always bringing up like Byron Katie stuff. And I still do that. I still bring up Byron Katie. But now you guys all know I'm obsessed with this. Like, I'm obsessed with this. And this is what happens when you're a content creator. You get obsessed with, like, something that's really genuinely changing your life at that point in time, right? So this map, I love this map. It's a really nice just mapping of, like, let me fix this. Let me fix our webcam. It's a really nice mapping of, like, human emotions and stuff. And so I, you can kind of map what I did and the stages I went through. So I was down in shame. And, and to be clear, I haven't given full context. When I was first arrested, it, there was then a gap of like about 18 months, I think, before I went to prison. And in that time, that's where I did a lot of my healing of depression, right? So that mm -hmm. 18 months. So that's, so if you read my depression article, a lot of that is from that time. And then other parts of it are from when I was actually in prison. So it's over like a two and a half, maybe th three year period where I was like getting my shit together. Right. And so 
when I first got arrested, I'm just down in fucking shame, right? I wanted to fucking die, as I'm sure you can imagine. I already wanted to die. I was already in shame. Imagine how much more shame you feel when, like, and it was funny because, I mean, not funny, but the night I was arrested, my mother flew down, like, fucking long flight, too. Like, God bless her. Like, it was like a fucking six-hour flight, too, like, across the country, and she just, like, jumped on a plane immediately, and, like, she was so mad at me. <laughs> we joke about that sometimes because my mother is the most loving, kind, just beautiful soul, right? And she was so mad at me, <laughs> but she kept it together enough. She wasn't talking, and that's how I know she really fucking was mad. And she drove me from the the holding cell or whatever it's called. Like, you, you get released. Mm-hmm. And she drove me back to my apartment, and she was just like, all right. She made a cup of tea. She's like, all right. And she, I was sitting down on the couch. God bless her. My mom's so sweet. She got, like, I was sitting on the couch and I was just looking down. I couldn't look at, I couldn't look any, I couldn't look her in that. I couldn't look anyone in the eyes for like the first fucking month after this happened. Maybe the first like three weeks. I remember we went, uh, I know I'm jumping all over the place. Don't take the thing away. <sighs> no, I'll come back to this in a second. Anyway, anyway, whatever. So, yes, I was in shame. She was, I was looking down at the ground. <coughs> you know, my mother literally got down onto the fucking floor on her knees like threw herself at my feet essentially like gracefully and gently and she's down on my knees and then she's like looking down she's on the on the ground like looking up at me to try and get my eye contact she like lifts my chin up oh my god i could not fucking look her <laughs> and like you know she's just like tell me what happened and i couldn't fucking look me in the eyes and she's like look me in the eyes and i was like i can't and she was like okay and she just stayed down there like and she just listened right and you know, she was like, she said, she said this thing that was, there was this, it's the map of this consciousness. It's, it's this map. And I understood it in that moment. She said, this is rock bottom. This is rock bottom. You've lied. You haven't told us that you were depressed. You kept that inside for the last like five or six years. You know, you tell me now that you were depressed since you were 14, that you wanted to kill yourself since you were 14. You lied to me. You lied to your father. You lied to your sister. You lied to your girlfriend here. You know, we broke up that day, obviously. Like, she was kind enough to stay and listen to all of this, actually, which I'll always be grateful to her for. And then that was, this is, this was just too much. We, we didn't have the best, we didn't have a good relationship anyway. But, you know, my mother was like, this is rock bottom. Like, it, does, it can't go. <laughs> Where else are you going to go? Like, this is rock bottom. The good news is it's only up from here. And I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, and here's my favorite little fucking map. That's this map, right? I was down in, I was already in shame to begin with, but like that night was the most amount of shame I've ever felt. Cause it was like, you have all this shame and part of shame means keeping it inside. And then this is like someone threw dynamite in there and it's like, yep, no, it's all getting blown apart. And now we got to see the shame. We're going to look at the shame. And I thought that was the worst thing ever, but obviously it was the best thing ever. Like, and any of you who are listening, who are in shame for whatever it is, The only way it gets better is if you tell one fucking person. You cannot improve from shame without telling someone. It doesn't. It's That's what shame is. The only way shame gets better is if you tell one person. So you can tell me. You can post a comment. You can send me an email. And I promise you I will not share it with anyone. I will just literally keep it. I will write you something really nice back. I promise you. I might do a voice message for you or something, like a private one. But if any of you are in shame about anything, You have to fucking tell someone. It is the only way. Shame thrives on being alone. Shame thrives on nobody else knowing. 
shame is like a virus. It, it kind of grows and takes over the host and it's like a parasite. And so if you want to move up from shame to guilt, which is an incredible fucking jump, you have to tell someone. Then at least you're guilty. You feel guilty. So, yeah, so I felt horribly shameful, horribly guilty, but I, I poured it all out. You know, I've been depressed. I've been suicidal, blah, 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 all of this stuff that I'd, I'd kept. I was actually more ashamed of that, of having lied to my parents than anything else. But, yeah, so we, so we, in that moment, and, and to answer your full question of, like, what was prison like, this whole question was what was prison like, mm. or, or, or you said you were stoic. Yeah, I, I slowly moved up over the next, like, 18 months I think it was about 18 months before I went to prison. I moved up this map and you guys have known that in the depression article. So just go and read my depression article. It's basically my journey up this map. I talked about everything I did to get up this map. Mm. I was doing that while having a possible prison sentence over my head and everybody knowing and all my family and my, not all, yeah, we told some of my friends, I told all my family knew, all my family knew. I had all of that over my head, like, and, and we moved up this map. And so, you know, you said your question, your original question was being in prison. Like, how did you be stoic or, or, or like, was that the question? How did you be stoic? I was just clarifying that you didn't have a breakdown over that period. Yeah. Because I'd already had my breakdown. Yeah. Like, how can you go any fucking law? What am I going to have a breakdown on? And like, by the time I was even in prison, I'd already embraced courage like I really had, I'd embraced like so much courage. That was everything that I did in the depression article for like 18 months, right? Mm. I I did so much. Like, Yeah, obviously, I guess it was like the breakdown was, that was the 18 months. Like that was, I'm assuming there was a lot of like almost grieving. Oh yeah, I've, I've talked about this. This is in the depression article. So go and read that if you haven't read it already. But yeah, so for the first like month afterwards, I was just crying every day. I was just, and, and not just crying, but crying and screaming until no sound would come out, like literally. And then just, if any of you have ever cried or screamed until no sound comes out, it's, it's the weirdest feeling ever. It's just like you have nothing left to give and yet there's more pain there and you now have no way to get it out and it hurts. It fucking hurts trying to cry or trying to scream, but like your tear ducts have dried up, your voice is gone, like no sound is coming out when you're screaming and you're just like like this wretched just mouth curled up in agony like yeah for like a month it was like that and again i've talked about this in the depression article like that was me grieving that's mm. grief that's fucking better than being down in shame at least me pouring my fucking everything i'd held inside for the last like yeah i i <laughs> like hell but like at that point i couldn't put the genie back in the bottle that's why i say if you're down in shame or guilt please fucking tell someone please reach out reach out to me i will give you a fucking ten dollar coaching call if you're really that deep in shame and you have no money which a lot of people in shame have no money i'll give you a ten dollar fucking coaching call like please reach out please please go see a counselor please read my depression article i have so much let's put the depression article on the screen i have so many resources in this because i understand because i went through this shit right? Like this was me. So please go to my website, go to killyourandalisa.com forward slash depression. And I got a video there. It's like three hours long on my story. I talk everything about my story and I have three chapters or four like sections. And if you go to the section on hope, I have all of these like resources. I tell you how you can like start improving it. I talk about this book that I said before. 
I have so many resources. I've done podcasts. Look at all these fucking resources. Don't kill yourself. What to do when you feel hopeless and helpless. Depression is a lack of, you know, how to be happy. I'm always full of doubt. I put so much shit in there. Obviously, this article itself is there too. And then I have a bunch of like actual how-to guides. And on my YouTube channel, there's obviously millions more. I talk about cognitive behavior therapy. I talk about having a support network, making friends and how to do that. I talk about medication. I talk about counseling. I talk about, yeah, there's a bunch of shit in there. So please go and read that article if you haven't already read that. But yeah, I, I slowly moved myself back up or up this map for the first time in my life because I'd spent what felt like my entire life down in guilt and shame. Definitely shame. I didn't even feel guilty because it was just too much shame to even think about being guilty. Guilty would have been a fucking relief. So was grief. And so I slowly moved up. And I didn't know, I didn't have this map. I didn't know this is what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was just following what my parents said. And I'm so grateful for them and following what the counselor that I had said to do. And I slowly moved up. And so by the time I went to prison, I was at acceptance. I was. Like, I really was at acceptance. Like, I had made peace with the fact that, especially that day, I remember I woke up in the morning, the day of, like, the court hearing, the final court hearing. You go through lots of court hearings. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a bureaucratic process. But the final court hearing, it was like a cloudy sky, very dark. It looked like it was going to rain and storm. It looked ominous. And I was like, well, I remember saying to my mother, I was like, well, I'm going to prison today. Like, I know how I knew that. And like, we got there and, you know, my, my lawyer had previously said like, dude, you'll be fine. No, no, no. You're just going to get community service. It'll be fine. Like, it's pretty, you know, I can't guarantee that, but it pretty. And then, you know, we showed up and he goes like, there's been a change. They've changed the judge. This is a new judge. Like, it's just last minute thing. And like, this guy is very harsh on everything. Like, he just tends to give prison sentences and like, just have that in your mind. And we were in the court and there were all these cases that went before me. There was one that was like, this guy had had a meth lab and it had blown up and like seriously disfigured his like two year old daughter that he had in the meth lab. And like, she was disfigured for life now. And like, you know, the meth lab had blown up and blown the house up and destroyed the neighbor's house. And so I'm listening to that. And so then the judge goes like, you know, he's, he's talking through all of this and he's like, so I'm going to give you community service. And I'm like, holy shit, if this guy's getting community service, I should be fine. Then the next one was like, this guy was caught with all these drugs, like a massive amount of drugs, and it was raining. And as the police are like searching his vehicle, he's throwing them on the ground and he's stomping on them. And the police are trying, and he's fighting the police while stomping the drugs and they're getting washed away with the rain. And the police are trying to collect the drugs because the way you get charged with drugs is like, how many did you have on you? Mm. It's all getting washed away. And so the judge is like, this is like, perverting the course of justice tampering with evidence fighting police like being caught what we did catch you with was was enough drugs like you admit you did all this and i'm like okay this that wow this that, i don't think they would like if you fuck with the court system like this and they're like so you're getting community service and i was like holy shit like i'm fucking good and then yeah the rest of the story is obviously i went to prison for six months and yeah that's that's I don't think that's the important part of the story here is what mm. happened before. I think it's more like what happened afterwards. And so at that moment, yeah, it was just fucking roller coaster. Hey, especially the way that he did the speech, the judge, mm. it was a roller coaster. It was a beautiful, now I can look back on it and I can be like, that's fucking hilarious. 
Because like everything I just told, and there was more cases before that. Mm-hmm. I think like one guy got a prison sentence, but like out of the four or five things that I heard before mine, only one did. And so I was like, we're fucking great. And like, and then he gets to mine and he's going through everything. And he's like, yeah, look at all this stuff you've changed. You've gone and gotten a job. You have made amends. You have like, I had support letters from my family because I told all of my family. I had like 20 support letters from every member of my family telling about all this stuff I had improved and how I was like on the right path, Mm -hmm. how I had a job now and how I'd gotten promoted in that job. Even Mm -hmm. like I did a lot of self-improving in that time. I was like a manager in that job. And they were like, look, the the community needs him. Like this job needs him. Like blah, blah, blah. Like, look, he's turned a corner. Like, you know, he's got his act together. He knows what he did was wrong. Like he's made amends. He's trying to fix it. And, you know, the judge is saying all of this. And I'm like, yeah, like, okay, he gets it. And he's like, so I do not believe that a court sentence is warranted. Like, I believe you've learned your lesson. And I'm like, holy fuck. Oh, my God. And then he's like, however, it is important that we set a public deterrent. Mm -hmm. And so to deter other people from doing the same thing and committing crimes, I'm going to sentence you to one year in prison eligible for parole after six months. And I was like, is this a prank? Like. But in that moment, it was like, okay, acceptance. Like immediately as he said that, like it was like I was hearing the second he said the word, however, Mm. my brain went into like on this map, my brain went into acceptance. Like the second he said the word, however, I was like, I'm going to prison. All right, okay, stoic. And like, I'm giving myself a pep talk, but it felt so dissociated. I can still remember, even though it was like 16 fucking years ago, I was so dissociated from what he was saying that I could hear his words in the background. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't saying them to me. I'd already been sentenced. I already knew it. Like he didn't even have to say it. What's the, why are you even saying it? Just say like, hey, you're going to prison. Yeah. Like, and so I was already at acceptance. The second that I walked in there, I was like, no, I did something wrong. I'm going to jail. Cool. How do I make the most of this? And so the rest of the prison sentence was moving up to like, fuck man. Like, like obviously not enlightenment. That's like, border and shit like that nowhere near that but like absolutely love joy peace absolutely like a state that i've only just gotten back to now in like 16 years later with a hell of a lot of self-improvement and you can ask questions of like why did i fall back down the map Mm. it's very easy to be peaceful and joy and loving when you're in prison and then when you go out you let your ego and your outside world and distractions and all of that distract you and Mm. You know, I got into another relationship, which was not a happy relationship. It was violent. I was violent to her. She was violent to me. It was abusive. It wasn't happy. We weren't nice to each other. Like, there was some, there was a lot of love in there, too. Like, I know I often talk about the relationships in the past and say, oh, they were toxic and they were abusive. That's a, those are two words I'd like to stop saying because I think that colors makes me out to be the victim. And I think I've done that a lot in the past. I haven't meant to, but I have. And so, yeah, the prison sentence was basically, or the time in prison was like, how do we do these, like these ones here, love, joy, peace. And it was all the self-help books. It was meditating. I meditated so much every day. I would just sit on this Mm -hmm. bench with the sun in my face and I would just have my eyes closed for like an hour or two at a time. And I would just say like, what if I just never open my eyes again? What happens? And people would walk past me and they'd talk to me sometimes. They'd be like, Andy, 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 Andy. Andy, Andy, and they'd like touch my face and like, and I'd just, I'd just be in this like peaceful place where as they're doing that, I would just see it as like nothing but love. And I'd be like, isn't this beautiful that they're like trying to pull me out of meditation, but like they can't. And like, I think they know they can't. And after a while they stopped doing that and they'd talk to me still. They'd be like, Hey Andy, 
And I'd just be like really peaceful. And sometimes I'd be like, hi, with my eyes closed still. Yeah, it was a really like meditative, transformative experience. Like so many self-help books. So if you ever want, if you want a cheat code to like improving yourself or a cheat code to feeling better, just read like, like, like surround yourself by self-help books. I probably read like a hundred. And these days, something I, I recommend to a lot of people is like actually slow down with the self-help books. Mm. But I say that more to the guys who are a little further up in this map. Like if you're already, you know, achieving a lot of goals and you're up in like, I don't know, willingness or acceptance, right? If you're already far in your self-improvement journey, mm. take your time with any self-help books that you read. You know, like really, I take like at this point three months or so to read one book because I just use it, I internalize it. But if you're lower down on this map, like if you're feeling a lot of guilt or shame or grief or fear or desire, like wanting something, like if you're earlier in your self-improvement journey, like just propagandize yourself, like mm. brainwash yourself with self-improvement books. Like just read hundreds of them, literally hundreds of them. You're trying to shove yourself up to like courage. Yeah, I think because if you're in the lower states too, you're probably not going to spend time in between reading, reflecting and implementing. and You'll just spend time pulling yourself back down and feeling shit. Yeah, so as you said, as much time as possible with anything that's in a higher frequency of emotion is probably a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And spamming yourself with that. So, yeah, I was definitely up in the high levels. It was just nothing but peace. It was like I would wake up every day and just see everything as a gift. That probably only took like two weeks of being, maybe a month of being in there. So I did have to do it. I was at acceptance when I first went in. And then maybe a month later, I was like up to like love. And I did eventually get to just like, where I just loved everything and everyone. Like people would just open up to me and people really started opening. As the cli higher you climb in this, like people just fucking open up to you. Because mm -hmm. they're like, wow, this motherfucker's on some shit. Like whatever he's on, I want some of that. I'm going to tell him stuff. And I would just, I never judged anyone. And like people talk, I got a lot of stories. People told me a lot of stuff like that. They were like, I haven't told anyone else this. Like, I haven't told them what I did or how I'm here. Like, I was always really grateful for that. That was nothing but a beautiful gift for sure. Next question. So, you've mentioned in prison there was a garden. What mm. was that like? There was lots of nature, lots of gardens. There was a tennis court there as well. <laughs> Couldn't always use the tennis court, but like, yeah, the garden was amazing. It was like, and we were surrounded by nature. It wasn't so, – so I technically I went to two prisons. When you first go in, you go to like a maximum security prison while they like decide where you're going to go. And this is – it'll be different in every country. It might be different in every state inside my country. But mm. the prisons that I went to, that's all I'm familiar with is I was first in a maximum security one for I think six weeks. And there were just concrete walls. It's like what you see in movies. Like if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, it looked like that. Just big concrete walls. You can see the sky, but that's it. And then they moved me to like a medium one. And I would have gone to a minimum security one, but you don't, they're too, there's too many people in those. Mm. And so you have to sort of be in the system for a couple of years before you finally get to one of those. Like someone has to basically leave for you to get that spot. Yeah. And I'm lowest priority because I'm only in there for six months. They're like, you're here for a fucking holiday. Like, you're just so i'm in the medium one but the medium one was like there wasn't concrete walls there was just fence like 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 metal like chicken wire or barbed whatever you'd call it. like just chicken wire fence with barbed wire at the top so you could see through it and we were out in the bush and so there were kangaroos and like you know they would come up to the fence sometimes and you're just like hi like they're, they're off in the distance they're mm -hmm. like you know 100 meters away 300 feet away but you could see them there were birds there was like you know a garden with like 
where, where the prisoners made like took care of the garden and I was like best mates with the gardener. And so like he would just give me like food all the time. And then I made best friends with a chef, like a proper, he was like a chef on the outside. And so like we were all friends together. And so it was incredible. So like everybody and the meals in prison were pretty good to be honest. They were like whatever you'd get on a, a flight, like a airplane, they were mm-hmm. like that level. Mm-hmm. But you could buy extra food and stuff like that. But we, because I was friends with the gardener and because we were friends with the chef as well, I ate like a fucking king. And he taught me how to cook a little bit and stuff. And we would, you only had a microwave, you didn't have an oven. And so we'd have to get really creative. Like, how do you make cannelloni in a microwave? We had a frying pan as well. Like, and so you had, we'd make all these incredible foods, like lasagna. It's like, how do you make a lasagna? And so like, you'd have to come up with really creative ways. And like, you don't have a lot of pots and pans and stuff either. And, Mm -hmm. So we'd have to come up with really interesting ways to make like, and he was just, the chef was amazing. He was like really, really, really good at cooking. And the gardener was like great at gardening. And we just had incredible food, like any type of food you could think. We were allowed to get whatever we wanted. Mm. We just had to put in a request and it usually took like, you know, a week or so. But mm. yeah, the garden was amazing. It was very like soul giving, like like it added to my soul. And it was very much like, that's where I spent most of my time, honestly. Mm. We were allowed to go out there at about 8 a.m. And we had to come back in by, I think, 5 p.m. So you could spend most of the day there. And it was it was like really, really, really nice. I was surprised that this probably won't surprise or it might surprise some people. Like the people who have the mindset of like, okay, this is a gift, this is an opportunity, like, or this is a chance for redemption, or this is I need to atone for what I've done, or like like some sort of like positive, like I, I need to I need to get positive karma. That's how I thought. I was like, I've done a lot of negative fucking karma. That's why I'm here. Okay, how do I get some positive karma? Like, I lied to my parents. I did all this shit. I committed a crime. Like, I've hurt people. I've lied. I've spent my whole life just in pain and agony. I've been horrible to my grandfather. Maybe I'll talk about that in a separate podcast. I got to get some karma. And those people who have that mindset would be out in the garden. Like, they'd be out talking to each other. They'd be in, like, the food area just chatting to people. They'd be playing, like, card games. They'd be, like, building, you know, something, reading self-help books, going to the gym. But the people that had the opposite mindset of like, this is a punishment, they would stay in their cell. There were some guys that basically never came out of their cell, apart from when we had to do like the roll call, like where they count you. Mm -hmm. They would just never come out of their cell. So yeah, there are a lot of people that use the garden, but there were like, probably I'm going to say like 30% of people use the garden, maybe 25% of everyone that was in there, like would go outside. Other guys would go outside for a little bit, but like, yeah, there are a lot of people that weren't making the most of the prison. Like at all, mm. like at all, like they would just have the same friends for years and they would sit in the same spot and they would talk about the same stuff. They would talk about like just drugs or like whatever had got them there. They would just have like low level conversations. Like, like when I say low level, I mean like the same conversation over and over again. Like what's the weather like today? Like that kind of thing. Mm. Not, not changing, not building. Mm. But yeah, the people that used the garden, we were so grateful for it. It was amazing. It was really, really, really amazing. So Yeah. I mean, I guess we talked about all of that. Mm-hmm. You can talk about that if you want. Yeah. What was it like getting out after six <laughs> months? Amazing. Weird. Really weird. Because as nice as the prison guards were, and they were so unbelievably lovely, you are called like a criminal. Mm-hmm. You're called offender. And then they, and they don't always use that name, but on all official documents and when someone important is talking to you, they'll call you like offender. Rather than like, and then your surname, right? Yeah, rather than like person. And the prison guards were really nice. In the first prison I was in, the maximum security one, oh, they were not very nice. 
They were not very nice. They seemed to take pleasure in not being nice. They weren't, they weren't abusive. I'm not going to say, please don't think that I'm saying that they were that. Definitely not. But they were not loving and kind. Mm. But in the second one I was in, yeah, some of them were fucking loving and kind. Like they genuinely were really fucking loving and kind. Like, like they showed me a lot of humanity, but you are still, there's still a hierarchy, right? They are above you. They get to go home. And they did their absolute best to like break down those walls. And they would just come and sit with you in the garden alone, like, in the areas where you knew, because you came to know where security cameras were, like other prisoners would tell you, they'd be like, hey, if you ever want to commit a crime, like if you ever want to do drugs or something, go do it over in that corner. I'd be like, I don't. Like, I'm here for six months. Like, I don't want longer sentence. Like, what do you mean? But, you know, sometimes you might just happen to be sitting in that place and the security guards would know where those places were. And they kind of let you alone for the most part. They were pretty chill. But Mm -hmm. like, if you're sitting in that spot, Sometimes they would come and just sit with you and be like, hey, how's it going? And, like, you'd have it in your head. You'd be like, if I was to beat you up right now, like, there's no one that comes and fucking saves you. Not not that I was thinking of beating them up, but, like, you're thinking, like, you're taking a lot of vulnerability to sit here. And there was this old lady that was, like, I don't know, in her 50s or something, maybe 40s, in her 50s. She was, like, really fat, really short, really old. And, like, she came and sat with me so many times. And, like, we were just alone. And she was like, Hey, how's it going? And I was like, I'm really good. How are you? And she's like, Oh, really good. Like, you know, what are you going to do when you're out? Like, what do you think you're going to do? And I was like, Oh man, like, okay, if you're going to listen, here's my fucking plans. Like, you know, how's your family? Yeah, they're great. Like, you know, you said you had a sister, right? Blah, blah, blah. Like, they're just really fucking nice. And they would, I remember one time we were walking and she, like, she was just walking with me completely alone. And I just had this thought of like, she was just talking to me for like 20 minutes. And I was like, Do you make me feel really fucking human? And like, she was opening up about like her life and shit. And I was like, you didn't have to tell me this. I could have used this against you. Like you're being vulnerable. It's like step one of being a prison guard is don't be vulnerable. Don't share parts of yourself. But they just didn't seem to care, man. They were just, some of them, especially her, were just like love. Mm. It was really weird. It was really nice. It was really fucking nice. Some of them weren't, they were just neutral. A couple of them were like, I don't want to say they were mean, but like they were just blunt. But yeah, a couple of them were just loving and you were like, man, you're a good person. Like fucking thank you. And other people talked very highly of them. And I I suspect if anything ever had happened, like other prisoners would jump in. I would have jumped in. I would have been like, I'll fucking throw my body in there. Like don't hurt her. She's like, she's too loving. Like you can't, it would be like beating up Mother Teresa or something. It's like just beating up like fucking Gandhi or buddha or something it's like no don't or beating up the dalai lama it's like no i will fucking throw my body in there like this person just wants other people to be happy don't fucking like hurt them so yeah so point that i'm getting to is even though they made me feel as much as they could very human Mm. you still are aware that like i'm a prisoner i can't leave like and as soon as i got out oh man it was so weird because my mother and my grandfather were there waiting for me. And so I gave them a big hug and, you know, they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, gee, golly gee. Like, no one's asked me what I want to do for like six months. Mm, Like, you eat when you're told. And again, everyone was really nice in there, but you do have to eat when you're told. You have to go into your cell and get locked in when you're told. You have to have a shower when you're told. You have to get counted. Like, they count you when you're told. They do a random prison cell inspection. Every time you have a visit, You like, if you're visiting your family, you have to get naked and do a strip search. Not a cavity search, but you have to, like, bend over, bend over and, like, spread your fucking asshole to make sure that there's not something in there. Like, people looking at your fucking dick. You have to, like, pull your dick up and pull your balls up, like, while some guy's, like, looking. Like, you are, and they were nice about it. 
but you are treated like an animal. Like, and I understand why. I understand why. But you are treated, you're not treated like a human. <sighs> That's such a value judgment. There were moments where I was like, wow, like, especially the first time I ever got strip searched, I was like, mm. you just get used to it. Yeah. Like, I probably got like 500 strip searches. But imagine someone's just like, yep, no, lift your fucking pussy lips. Yep. No, spread your asshole. Yep. Cough. Because you have to cough, because then it'll make you unclench your butthole, so something will fall out if you had something in there. Yep, show us your tits, lift your underarms, yep, ah, open up, yep. Like, the hundredth time you go through that, you're just used to it, but you are being sort of, like, dehumanized a little bit, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's but at least certain processes that aren't human. It doesn't feel loving. Mm. Now, some of the people were. There was one guy who I went to strips, it happened one time in the six months, and- I go to strip search and he's just like really quietly and bearing in mind that there's other people around that can see and like he would have gotten in trouble. He's just like, and I was like, what does that mean? He's like, it's fine. And I was like, I felt like giving him a hug, which you're not, not going to do. <laughs> yeah. Cause then he'd get in trouble. But I was just like, like that, that almost brought tears to my eyes. Cause it sounds like such a small thing. It's like, wow, he saved you from one strip search out of like fucking hundreds of them. Cause you get strip searched when you go to visit your family. And then after the visit, mm. So it's like you're getting strip searched twice. And I had like two visits a week from family. My family, my friends, like a lot of people came. It was very good. And so that's four strip searches a day. And then you randomly will get strip searched. Like they'll just come into your cell and say, like, oh, hey, we're turning your cell over, mm-hmm. strip searching you. So I probably got like fucking hundreds of strip searches. And the one, but the one time that meant so much to me because it was just like an act of like humanity. Anyway, mm-hmm. the point is so we get out of the prison. My grandfather and my mother are like, what would you like to do? And I'm just like, golly gee, what the fuck? I don't know what to do. So I was like, I'm just thinking like, what do humans do? Literally in my brain, I was like, what do humans do? It's been six months times 30 days times 24 hours times 60 minutes times 60 seconds. What do I do? And I was like, I think I just want to go to a cafe. And so we go to some cafe. I don't even remember. I remember it, but I don't know like if it was good or bad. I was, they were like, which one? I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, what are you talking about? A cafe. So we're sitting there. And my mother's like, what do you want? And I was like, no, mother, I want to order. Like, and so I didn't have any money. So she gives me money and I'm like, I go up and the woman is just like, hi. And she's like super joyful. And I'm just like looking at her. I'm like, you don't know that I'm a prisoner. What? Like, Mm -hmm. it was just the weirdest experience. She's like, what can I get you? And I was like, uh, like three coffees and like a bagel and like this. And then she's like, that'll be $20. And I'm like, I have the $20 note in my hand or whatever it is. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, this is how you pay for stuff. Cause like you don't have money in there. And so, yeah. you know, I'm like, I give it to her. And then she gives me money back. And I was like, oh wow. Like human interaction. Like yeah. we, we exchanged money. And then she's like, I'll bring it over to you. Here's your little number thing. And so I take the little thing and I'm like over there. And then she comes over and she's like, she's like, here you go. Here's your coffee. Like as she's bringing it. And I'm just like staring at her like a little kid. You know how little kids would just stare at people in public. They're just fucking stare at them for like 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm just like staring at her like way longer than, you know, people normally stare at someone. <laughs> that is probably appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like staring at her going like, wow, she doesn't know that I'm a prisoner. Like, do I tell her? Mm. Do I tell her I just got out of prison? So yeah, that was like really nice. I then, I've talked about this in the depression article and stuff like that. And I can do a separate podcast on this if anyone cares. But I had a year that was amazing after that where I stayed with my parents. It was like magical. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. I, yeah, like I integrating back into normal life. I was still quite high up on the emotional, the map of conscious. I was still, I was still feeling good. Let's just phrase it like that. Mm. Feeling I wasn't quite full of joy and peace, but the, no, there was like a lot of joy and peace. Yeah. But like integrating back into society was definitely like interesting. 
not difficult, but just like interest. There's a lot of stuff you've, you do. it's like being able to shit with the door closed is a fucking like having a toilet seat, by the way, is like a luxury. There's no toilet seats in there. Oh. Having a shower that isn't over the toilet because the shower was over the toilet. So when you're showering, you're showering where you shit. Like mm. that's a luxury. Like soap, fuck me. Cause you have to buy soap in there. Just like buy soap. Yeah. Like pillows, like just everything was like a luxury. Just mm. everything was fucking beautiful. I was so grateful. I was so unbelievably grateful. And again, in prison, I had a lot. I had a lot. Mm. But there's like way more that you have when you come out. And so it was good. So after that year, then I got into a, as I've talked about, I got into my second long-term relationship, which lasted for about four years. And yeah, that was the one that was like, not great. Like we weren't good to each other. She had a lot of her own stuff with, with, you know, from her family and her family had quite a violent past and that definitely came out and she did the very best she could. She loved me as much as she possibly could. She loved me quite a lot and I loved her quite a lot. But it was not a healthy relationship. I had zero friends. I was very enmeshed with her. She had a couple of friends, but like we just, we spent, we didn't have our own independence. We didn't have our own love, like like self-love. We didn't have our own lives. And I slipped back into depression, but never as low as I did the first time. It was more just like a sense of like, so it was definitely depression, but it was never like suicidal. It was never like shame. It was, it was never any of that. Although there was quite a bit of shame. No, that's a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of shame because I was like, I shouldn't be enlightened. I didn't have the word enlightened, but I was like, I, sh- I was supposed to be happy. Why did I go to prison? Why did I leave the, f- why did the first relationship end after six years? You'd think I'd learned something. And yet here I am coming straight back to a woman that like, we both weren't good to each other. Let's just phrase it like that. But like, you'd think I'd know better than this. What the hell am I doing this? Why? Like, there was a lot of shame there to be sure. Yeah. But. That was ultimately really good for me. All of this shit was really good for me, if that's not clear. Like, your pathway leads you to the current moment. And if you can find even one thing in the current moment that you're grateful for, it's like, hey, then maybe the past at least led to this one grateful thing. And that doesn't, for for some people that hear that and go like, yeah, but my current life sucks. It's like, I understand. I've been there. Trust me. Trust me. But me personally, the point I'm at right now, I have a very huge amount to be grateful for. And... Yeah, I'm glad everything happened the way it did. For a while, I wasn't. When I was in prison, I was very happy. But then afterwards, I was like, fuck, man, like, I wish I'd learned my lesson, but I'm glad. I'm glad I hadn't. I'm glad it took two not great relationships to learn those lessons. So, yeah, I became depressed again. Then I found first prank YouTube channels where they would do, like, nice pranks. Like, guys would go up to girls on the street and just be like, hi, here's a flower. And then the girl would like cry and be like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like I've had a bad week and like, thank you so much. And I just got addicted to those videos. I really did. I watched like thousands of them. I'd watch this one of this guy that would like go up to old people in the park and sit on the bench with them and be like, hey, can I sit next to you? And they'd be like, oh, sure. And he'd sit there. Then he'd pull out of his backpack this like kids coloring in book and he'd just get his crayons out and put them all on his lap and then just start, like, coloring in this coloring book with crayons. And the old people would be, like, looking at him funny. And then he'd be like, do you want to do coloring in with me? And some of the old people would be like, uh, sure, I guess. And then they'd just be coloring. Just, like, really wholesome pranks. You don't yeah. even call that a prank. It's just, mm-hmm. like, a social experiment. I got addicted to them, mm-hmm. so many of them. I've shown you so many of them. Just I, I, I loved the ones where they would make someone smile mm-hmm. or they would just do something nice. There's a guy called Big Doors TV. Um, when I say doors, it's D A W S 
so Big Doors TV. You go on, so I, he's still making videos, actually. Hmm. A lot of his are just so fucking lovely. Like, he does one where he's like, hey, guys, like, you know, he'll speak to the camera. Hey, guys, like, you know, a lot of people don't have any friends at college. And, you know, I was lonely myself when I was a bit younger. And so I want to show you guys, like, that you can just go up to random people and be friends. And so he just goes up to random fucking people. And he's so awkward. That's why I think I love his content, because it's just like, he's just not smooth. <laughs> You like cringe comedy. I do not. It's not cringy. It's just like, it's raw honesty. Sure. And so he'll just walk up to them and just be like, yo, hey, I don't know anyone. Like, I just came, I'm just going to this university now. Like, I just got here. Like, would you like be friends with, like, do you, do you know anyone that I could be friends with? Like, and he'll just go up to guys with that. He'll go up to girls with that. He'll just, he just, he, he's done so many videos like that. We'll just go up to people and just be like completely raw, honest and just, mm-hmm. And they're like, so many of them are just like, yo, I got you, man. Like, what's your name? Like, I got you, dude. Like, give me your number. Give me your Facebook, right? Give me your Instagram. Like, come on, we'll be friends. And the girls are all sweet as well. Like, mm. everyone's like, yo, I, I got you. I understand. Like, what's your name? Where are you from? Like, and I watched so many of them and they gave me the courage to then go, maybe I can do some of this stuff myself. Cause at the point I was at that point, I was still in this unhappy relationship. Mm. And then I found the red pill, which screamed at me. Go to the gym, go to the gym, go to the gym. So I started going to the gym a little bit, but not really. I was just like fucking around, but that was like the first time I'd, I'd even done anything gym related. Then mm-hmm. I found good looking loser who felt like, you know, as he says, the big brother you've never had. And he had the approach anxiety program where he's like, you know, you can learn to go out and talk to women and that just looked so close to what I'd been watching on YouTube. Like all these people were just walking up to people and just being fucking genuine Mm -hmm. and just saying like, yo, hey, I don't know anyone or yo, I'm lonely or yo, I thought you were cute and I wanted to say hi. Just like pure fucking honesty, you know what I mean? Like, and I I could see how honesty had helped me so much in the past, like with all this prison stuff and all of that. And I wanted it so badly to be able to do what they were doing. And I knew that I was brainwashing myself. That's why I watched, like, I would have watched literally thousands of these videos over the course of like a year. I just fucking brainwashed myself with these videos. And I I would tell myself, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can too. That's where my website motto comes from. You know, if I can do it, you sure as hell can too. I literally just brainwashed myself with, with all these people and the Good Looking Loser Approach Anxiety Program. And then it all came to a head one day where, you know, my girlfriend and I had this fight. She was just like screaming at me and I was just sitting there like watching her scream at me. She wasn't screaming. She was yelling at me. She was yelling at me. And I was just so dissociated in the moment. I was like, in the, in my head, I was like, I have a choice here. I can either go down this path. I've been down this path of depression before and we're happy. Like we have a lot of love for each other. I think we could make this work, but I, I think it would also be, I don't think we're good for each other. I think we love each other. Mm-hmm. At the time, we thought it was love. I don't think it's love now. I think it, whatever, that's a separate discussion. She definitely did her best to love me. I did my best to love her. There was a lot of kindness in the relationship there was. But I'm sitting there thinking that's one life path. The other life path is I go out and do these social experiments. I go to the gym and it was so unbelievably terrifying. And I was, I just, as she's yelling at me, I was just like, I'm done. Like, I just heard the words coming out of my mouth. And I was like, I'm done. She's like, what do you mean you're done? What do you mean? She's like yelling. And I was like, I'm done. And then something changed in her. She was like, are you being serious? And I was like, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm done. And we talked for a week. 
And she was very loving and kind during that week. She was. She was genuinely very fucking loving, unbelievably loving. And I don't think that's something that I've said before. I think in the past I've wrapped both of my first two relationships up in in this label of like, oh, they were bad, you know. Like, I was bad, they were bad, we were both bad to each other, bad, 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 but there was so much love there, there really genuinely was, and the whole time she was doing her best, and I was doing my best, and we talked for a week, and then finally she moved out, and I started doing the Good Looking Loser Approach Anxiety Program immediately, like, literally while she was moving out, or, like, like as she moved out, I remember telling my best friend, you know who I'm talking about, he's still my best friend to this day, at that point we'd only been friends for, like, a month or two, and he was like the only friend that I had. I had literally zero friends apart from him. And he wasn't even a, a good friend at that point. I barely knew him. But I texted him and I was like, I broke up with my girlfriend. And he's like, are you okay? Like, haven't you guys been together for like four years? And I was like, I think I'm okay. And he was like, okay, man, like, come meet me. Like, I'll buy you dinner. We're gonna. And he just showed me so much love and kindness in that moment. He really did. We had this long conversation about philosophies and he took my mind off things and he taught me the unfalsifiable fallacy. That way he taught me that in that moment. And I was like, what is this? I didn't get it. And like, hmm. he had to explain it 10 times. And he taught me so much about philosophy and all of that. And he's, you know, like I said, he's still my best mate to this day. I would take a bullet for this guy. And that's always a weird analogy, by the way. I would take a bullet for him. How about I say something loving? I would move heaven and earth to help him be happy. I'd rather say that than I'd take a bullet for him. But yeah, then I started improving myself more and more and more. Climbed back up fairly quickly, climbed back up the the emotions hierarchy, the map of consciousness, back up to courage, back up to, I mean, there was courage for me to break up with her. So I was already at courage mm -hmm. moving back up. And it's been this long process over the last, like there's been downs and depression and but never as low as I was before I met you at some point. I met you probably, I don't know, three years into my self-improvement. How old was I when I met? Like 31, 30? 30, just turned 31. So 31. Yeah, so I that was two years into my self-improvement. Like, like good-looking loser self-improvement. Mm. Yeah, I met you. You changed my life incredibly a lot. Taught me a lot of patience. Taught me a lot of kindness. Taught me to drop my big fucking pompous ego. <laughs> Have you mentioned that on the podcast yet? No, I'll mention it at some point, but yeah, you did take, you did a lot for me. You really did. You've done a lot for me. I think, and we've talked about this before. You definitely taught me that because you and I had a lot of fears when we first got into this relationship. Mm. I had all of this. So much. Yeah. You had your parents divorce and you know, your brother, we've talked about that on the podcast. I think your brother attempting suicide when you were young and you feeling so unbelievably helpless in that moment. And you being by his side in the hospital and just calling your sister and saying, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. Like, and we were both so scared of relationships because I had 10 years at that point of like hmm. being abusive and being abused. I don't want to use those words anymore. Being in relationships that weren't particularly healthy, weren't particularly kind. And when we first met, you know, we had all these conversations where, you know, it was our little mantra for a while ago at the start, wasn't it? You were like, I don't do feelings. And I was like, I don't I do not do feelings either. I'm not getting into a relationship. Yeah, I'm not getting into a relationship. We don't do relationships. We're never going to be in a I need you to know that I will, you know, maybe one day in the future, but not for the next two or three years. I don't think you ever said that to me. <laughs> well, what did I say then? Not that. 
like what did I say? I don't no, remember. None it's of like that. Just like at ago. some point we'll break up. That was the mantra. Yeah, for I did a while, say that, didn't I? Like, yeah, I was like, do you have to know? I'm going to break up months. with you at some point. Yeah, I did say that. You're mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I was like, I can't do relationships. <laughs> at some point, I'm going to end this with you. And you were like, essentially, yeah, good. Like, I don't do feelings either. Like, mm. we were like both train wrecks, but I think we were both deeply honest with each other. That was us being incredibly honest. Yeah, or simultaneously lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves, <laughs> but we're like speaking our truth, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. We didn't have to say that. I could have just fucked you and not told you. Mm. You could have just been un- emotionally unavailable, which, you know, most people are, but you were incredibly brave. Mm. You told me about your binge eating. You told me about all the things that had hurt you. You told me about your parents' divorce. I told you about a lot of stuff. I told you about this prison stuff maybe a year into yeah, it. a little while in. But I'd hinted at stuff like this, and I told you, I told you about my relationships immediately. Mm. That's what that was like within. Yeah, that the, was early on. The first m- two months or something, I was like, "Yo, hey, you have to know, I'm not going to get into a relationship. I had these two mm-hmm. relationships. I'm mm-hmm. still learning to move past them. I don't know how to be in a relationship. I told you that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know how to be in a relationship. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna fuck it up. So I am gonna break up with you at some point. Like, but as long as you're happy being here and I'm happy, like, you know, that's great." We were both so scared. So unbelievably terrified. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of took it slow. And that's why I say build things. Like, you don't have to rush into calling it a relationship. You can if you want to. You're all adults and you'll do whatever you want. But we definitely, we benefited a lot from going nice and slow and taking our time. And Oh, yeah. I don't see a world in which it would have worked if we jumped we into a relationship. We would have both just fucking broken up. Yeah. We, weren't, no, we weren't ready. And we moved slowly, we we overcame hurdles, we had to do a lot Mm. of soul-searching on what we wanted. I had that big moment, which you and I know about, which I've I've talked about, but like I don't think I've done a specific podcast. When you were like, hey, I can't do this anymore, I don't think I Mm. can be with Mm. you if this is the relationship dynamic. And in that moment, I had to basically say, okay, do I want to just be like a player fuckboy for the rest of my life and just like... It's not that. That wasn't the choice because we're still obviously dating and sleeping with women together. But, like, it was essentially like, do I want to build something with you? That was the conversation. Mm -hmm. The whole conversation essentially boiled down to you saying, I feel like you have helped me increase or I've increased my self-esteem. And I'm at the point where I want something a little more than this. And you right now can't give me that. And that's okay. But I'm going to go off and find that with someone else. That was the conversation. Mm, it wasn't so peaceful and eloquent, but that was the essence that of was the what was being communicated. Yeah. yeah. Or at least how I interpreted it. And yeah, I I spent the weekend thinking about it and going like, can I give this? Do I want this? I want it so fucking badly. But all of my red pill programming that was like, never do anything for a woman. Like if she was willing to walk away, like, you know, fuck her, like, you know, never give any compromises to a woman not that it was a compromise but it's like never give anything to a woman like you know all of that kind of stuff Mm. and i obviously had my first two relationships all of that baggage and bitterness and pain and all of that that i hadn't fully worked through and all of that shit and yeah i spent a while and i remember texting you and just going like would you want to do this with me Mm. and you were like yes if you want to do this with me essentially you were like, you're the one that has to step up to the plate, Andy. That was the gist of the conversation. And yeah, that was that was fucking terrifying. That was so unbelievably terrifying. You know that. We've talked about mm-hmm. that a million times. But mm-hmm. that was fucking scary. 
that was like me letting go of all the red pill shit and going like, can I risk getting my heart broken a third time? And I'd already had a, a, a third heartbreak, actually. I was in a relationship, you know, the Malaysian girl. Mm. But that was only for a year. But this was, no, but that still hurt. So this was like, can I risk getting my heart broken a fourth fucking time, right? And, yeah, that was so unbelievably terrifying. It really was. But I took that leap of faith and I was, like, doubting myself. I was like, am I being the biggest fucking retard in the world? And I texted you. I was like, I want to do this with you. Do you? And you were like, yes, I want to fucking do this with you. Yes, of course I do. Mm. And I was so terrified. I was like, I've made a mistake. I've lost myself. I'm going straight back to, you know, the first relationship and the second one. And like, now I'm going to just get depressed again. And why have I done this? I've, I have no self-esteem. Why have I done like all of that? But, you know, there was so much kindness inside you, so much honesty. You had always been so unbelievably honest. And I couldn't see any way in which you were trying to hurt me. You had just never done anything to hurt me at that point, like at all. Mm. And even though I had all the stories in my head saying like, this is bad, like women just hurt men all the time, like, you know, like all those kind of stories. It's like, I just didn't get that from you. And so I was like, fuck it. Why don't I just take this chance? And like, God damn it, was that a good decision? I'm so glad that you, it wasn't an ultimatum. You know, you broke up with me. You did. Oh, break there was up. no, there was no, like, it was not an old, change. It was no, just like, it was like um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going. Like, I love you, but like, mm-hmm. no, it was, it was you expressing the most rawest, sincere form of boundaries and like what you wanted and like that I wasn't able to give it. And you're like, and you had no animosity. You were just like, I, this is not, no, like, I, do, I want better than this. I'm allowed more than this. And so I'm going to go and seek it. Mm-hmm. I think because if you'd said it as an ultimatum, Oh, yeah, no, I would have fucking broken up with you. I would have been like, no, fuck you, bitch. Like, it would have been everything the Red Pill had told me and probably would have been correct. If you do an ultimatum with someone, that's blackmail. That's like... Yeah, I think at the time, though, you were so, like, more stubborn than you are now. I was so stubborn. With, like, your the way you were going to do things and your beliefs and, like, how you expressed that. And, like, this has never changed. So there was no even conception that i yeah. could convince you there wasn't like that wasn't a thought in my head it was just like no that's this is somebody that's very rigid with mm. how they're going to do things so i need to make the decision with that information yeah and you did and you were so incredibly brave and i think that bravery was part of the reason why i was like i think i can build something with this woman and and to be clear at this point i think we'd been together for like two years a year and a half you, I don't remember. almost a year at that point but, okay okay so year about a year bit. okay and so I knew you very well and like I knew you to be very like brave and ambitious and ridiculously competitive and courageous and all of those things. And so, yeah, in that moment, I saw it as what it was, an act of strength. And I was like, fuck, man, like this is a pretty strong person. Like maybe I, I do want to build something. Like I love it a piece of she loves me. She's done nothing but add to my life, not a single thing you'd taken away from it. And it's like, fuck, man, like, yeah, it felt like even though I was terrified of it, at the time, I think I knew that it was an act of courage from you and that me giving you that back would be an act of courage, not an act of weakness. And if it had felt like an act of weakness, I wouldn't have fucking done it. Mm-hmm. My red pill stuff was so strong at that point. My self-esteem was so strong at that point. My stubbornness was so strong at that point. And I had an amazing group of friends who, you know, like would have told me like, no, ditch her. Are you kidding me? Like, this is weak, dude. Mm-hmm. But- yeah, it, it, it felt very much like an act of strength in that moment. It's like, okay, no, like this is someone expressing their boundaries. She's very strong. I want to give this. And to be clear, if I couldn't have given that to you, I wouldn't have. 
If you'd asked me, if, you didn't ask me. If you had wanted something that I couldn't give, I would have said like, no, I can't give that. Mm. But yeah. And if anyone isn't clear of what we're talking about, like that you're giving, you basically said, hey, you're out there sleeping with all of these women. You're having all this sex without me. That's wonderful. I'm happy for you. That's great. But that isn't the type of relationship I want. Yeah, I just felt like I was just another girl. You were just in another your girl life. at that point, yeah, for sure. That's and what you were essentially saying. I, I, I don't. I want to be the main. And that person. was hurting. Yeah, and you were like building things with other women and becoming like emotionally like connecting with other women mm. as well. So, yeah, that was a lot of what was what I wasn't okay with at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was a conversation, and so that's when I said to you, you know, when I after I thought about it for the weekend, I was like, what if we date women together? Or at the time I said, what if we fuck women together? What if we sleep with women together? And you were like, yeah, I want that. I like that. Yeah, and for a little while you would kind of see them a few times and then introduce them to me, and that was We were already of- moving in that direction, yeah. I didn't like sleeping with girls without you. It felt strange. It, mm. it didn't feel like it was what I wanted. But, yeah, that's just how we were doing it. I would sleep with a new girl, you know, I'd tell her, hey, I have this girl that I'm seeing, would you like to sleep with her with me? Yeah, and it felt like, that felt weird to me too, because it felt like an extra step that I'd inserted. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so I have to sleep with them once, but like, I don't want the sex to be too good, because then it's like, well, Emmy will miss out, and then I have to like, catch her up on it. But I don't want the sex to be crappy, because like, why am I having crappy sex? So it was this weird, like, I was having decent sex with girls, but like, and I was screening them too. I was like, hey, I, I was at that point, I was literally saying on Tinder, hey, I will sleep with you only if you're willing to sleep with my girl, f- like, like with Emmy the second time. Mm-hmm. And if they or said eventually. no. Yeah, yeah. because some, for, at the start, you were, even if I had met them, we, you would still see them on your yeah, own for a while. Yeah, I remember. As well. And yeah. so that was, yeah, that was, that, that was a bit of a transition period. And then mm. 2020, things changed a lot. <laughs> they did, yeah. And. I guess, was a stepping stone to where we are now. Mm-hmm. I think because there wasn't necessarily the capacity to, for you to be having sex with other girls on your own for a while, and then things ended up evolving into where mm-hmm. we date girls together now. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned before, you know, you felt like I was emotionally connecting to women, like, like building something with them, mm-hmm. and you weren't comfortable. It's funny that we, we it's not funny, it's really beautiful that we're both at a point now where it's like, well, that's what we want now. Like yeah. we both want to build something with girls. Together. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For as long as they want to see it, there's no expectations there. No expectations, only curiosity. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's nice that we came that full circle because that was something that you were scared of. And I guess I was too. Like, what if we get attached to a girl that we're dating? Or at the time, we called it sleeping with. Even the language that we use now is different. Like, and that's been a very conscious choice, but we used to just say like, we had sex with a new girl. Now it's like, oh, we're dating this girl. We're seeing her. Seeing her, I guess is what we say. Yeah. And that is because like the tangibles of what we're actually doing is different. Yeah. We've, we've changed it completely. We used to just be having sex with as many girls as we could. Like if they were willing to have sex with us and they're attractive enough, we would just sleep with them. Whereas now it's like. Do we like you? Could yeah. we, do we think that you're someone that might hang around for yeah. more than a couple of times? And I think we've said, and we don't know what we'll be like in the future, but at this point we're quite happy seeing just one person at a time. We're mm-hmm. only seeing one one person right now and mm-hmm. that seems nice. I like that. Yeah. It's like a chance to go a little deeper. Mm. And, and we're also very busy. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's that too for sure. I don't really. We've slept with a lot of people at this point, like a lot, like a ridiculous mm. number. Like we lost count a long time ago. Mm. It's a lot. Mm. So I don't think we need any more sex. Like it's fun. It's fun if it happens. Yeah, I'm not turning it down, but it's not something we're pursuing. Would you like to finish up so you can go to your thing, or do you want to keep talking? I'll happily keep talking. What time do you have to call? Are you sure? You're going to skip your thing, though. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You're a very kind person. I want my fiddle object back there. Generally speaking, when we do podcasts, one of us, we, we both end up fiddling with stuff. <laughs> I um, fiddle with this. You and your mouse. Do and I, feel, I, do, you, I do this, right? You pick at stuff all of the time. Um, I usually, and then, and then I, I usually I, find, and he took it from me like a minute ago. And I was like, it's my object. Don't fiddle with stuff. <laughs> I like when you fiddle with stuff. Okay. We can ask some questions. Yeah. Should we do some questions? Because there were... Mm, people from your forums who ask questions. Or should we finish up and do it as a second part? Sure. Yeah, it's probably as one listenable thing. We can yeah. just break it into two. Yeah, so we'll record. We'll keep recording right now, but we'll finish this video, basically. Like, Yeah, let's finish up. The, the, the final thing I'll say is if anyone has anything that they want to share that they feel like they're in shame, you know, please feel free to post it in the comments if you feel like you would like to. You're welcome to email me, and I won't share it with anyone else. And yeah, there's no obligation to do that, but please don't hang around in shame. But yeah, I'm very grateful to everybody for listening. This was obviously very, it's not scary now, but it was scary at the start. I already had a little head start by getting to share it with some of my friends and then my coaching group and then the forums. But Yeah, and I think I want to express gratitude, not on your behalf, but even just for me, that everyone that you shared with was very understanding and open-minded and non-judgmental and i think that's a big part of what you were afraid of Mm. i knew most of them would be non-judgmental but yeah it's definitely very vulnerable i was very vulnerable but it's ultimately something you know one of my biggest philosophies is run towards fear it served me incredibly well it's basically the only way you move up in terms of like happiness or if you want to talk about that map of consciousness that i always talk about which is really just a pathway to like happiness, really. It really is. Like, like, like pure happiness and joy and abundance and all of that stuff. The only way you do that is by sharing and letting go and running towards your fears, really. Like, you can't let fear hold you back. Well, you can if you want to. And I would never blame someone that holds fear. Cause like, look, I took, you know, 16 years to tell the public this. Mm. My family and a couple of my friends knew, one of my friends knew, but. And you knew, but yeah, yeah. I would never hold it against someone if they were afraid to share something. And by the way, if anyone does share anything in the comments, let's all be super, let's all kind of make an agreement or a pact to be like super fucking nice to them. Let's all jump in there and comment. Don't just like read their comment, like jump in and, and let's all agree. We'll jump in there. And I know it's not really an agreement if I tell you all to do it, but I am going to, and if you want to follow in my footsteps, that would be great. I am going to write something really nice to anyone that does want to share anything. And if nobody shares anything, fucking that'll be fantastic too. Mm. I'm really grateful for you, little Missy. I really am. I'm grateful for you too. I love you very much. 